Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the alumni call, June 2020, uh, where we cover perturbation. Christopher Cook talks about ref the reflexive universe and Cindy Ford, our alumni, presents planetary, uh, a new model for education for young children. These calls are held every month on the third Thursday, alternating between morning and early evening Australian time so that we cover the UK and Europe uh, and always Australia. Uh, and, uh, and so they're opportunities for people to get a, have an experience of what we're doing in Centropic World and to choose if this is a pathway that uh, might be aligned to what you want to do in reference to creating your enterprise or re-engineering your enterprise. Uh, they are uh, at no charge. You do need to register if you would like to receive the either the recording or the video. We record it, both formats. And, uh, and we always ensure that we have a really fantastic guest. So we'd love to uh, see you come along. If you uh, want to register, please go to centropic.world and you'll find the link to the Alumni Plus. Uh, which will give you the opportunity and all the information on the next uh, the next call. We hold them tight to one hour and they're fast-paced, very dynamic. We hope to see you. Thank you. So I'm going to get straight into it uh, because we hold this to a really tight hour. And uh, and so um, everyone, if you can, if you're not on mute, you, you started off on mute, but make sure that you stay on mute but you are welcome to um, ask questions. And so we have question time at the end of each particular um, segment. We've got the three segments. Lovely to see you, Julie. Katie, lovely to see you too. Uh, so um, Centropic, uh, Centropic, a Centropic Enterprise, um, the name actually lives in the Creative Commons. And, uh, and so that means that I don't own it and no one can own it um, very deliberately because our intention with this work is to have Centropic Enterprise become business as usual. Uh, essentially what that means, Centropic is the opposite to entropy. Um, entropy is the second law of thermodynamics that the world is wearing down. So Centropy in its short version means uh, uh, leaving everything we touch better or leaving everything better. And so a Centropic Enterprise where rather than trying to fix the broken um, we're trying to build new models new maps and new mindsets for a world with a future and so that means that we're re-examining everything from governance legal uh, entity enterprise design accounting for value uh, and how we coordinate humans enabling self-managed systems self-managed teams uh, it is a complete rethinking of how we bring humans together to create things that matter for a world with a future. Uh, um, just to give you the heads up, because we do close without any um, any extra information. So we've got a masterclass that has been running. Some of the people on this call are um, either taking that or have retaking the masterclass. Uh, at this time, um, it's got two weeks to go. We've got an, a, a, a new one launching uh, the 9th of July Australian time for the America time zones. Uh, it's 90 minutes, this format, just as you see, and uh, over eight weeks, and also a lot of digital material that will back that. Uh, the online digital um, do, when you, do when you please masterclass will be available for public, uh, I think on the 8th of July. And I will be doing another UK time zone masterclass starting on, I just look at the dates, the 15th of September. So we alternate between UK and the Americas. Uh, and we have, we're building a very um, lovely global community of practice uh, around um, application of this material, which is very exciting. So I'm just going to present a short piece uh, of the material uh, and today's piece is on perturbation. Perturbation is from Ilya Prigogine. Some of you may have heard of him, but uh, the theory of dissipated structures and the theory of change. Uh, Prigogine uh, won the Nobel Prize for um, chemistry in 1977. 
essentially what we're doing, a large part of what we're doing in this entropic universe is where we're uh, applying laws inherent in nature to enterprise design and human coordination and everything, currency, currency flows, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, this is uh, one of the, one of the sort of like the, the modules that we teach. I'm giving you a high level overview of that. So as I said, a theory of dissipated structures. And so um, it's called perturbation. And one of the, everyone can see that, one of the uh, reasons I chose this for this particular day is because the world has been going through quite a serious perturbation uh, in 2020. I think most of us will agree in some form or other. Uh, and so this is, a, this is a simple way of looking at that. So let's just say we have molecules. And these molecules can be humans, they can be cells in an organism, they can be enterprises, they can be nations. So we have entities within, uh, within a system that are undergoing perturbation. So perturbation literally means that we're applying pressure. Has anyone had the experience? You can raise your hands because I can see all your faces if you've got your cameras on. Anyone experiencing maybe this year any form of pressure? Anyone? Randomly? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, good. So when we apply pressure to a system, what happens is the molecules start to vibrate. And I'm sure you know what that feels like. So it starts to vibrate. Uh, we start to vibrate. Our biology starts to vibrate. It starts to vibrate. And if the pressure continues, the vibration increases. And what happens is that at some point in time, there is a threshold that is crossed and there is a transformation, a literal transformation from a shape to another shape. So there's transformation. Now, a couple of things that are really critical about this particular model is that this crossing of the threshold is unpredictable. In other words, we can't say it's going to happen, we're going to apply this pressure, and we can't say it's going to happen on five, at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. We don't know when it's going to happen, and we don't know how much pressure you need to apply, but what we do know is that if you continue to apply the pressure, you are going to get a crossing of the threshold and the shape is going to change. When it happens, when we get that, we get a massive release of energy. And in human systems, we might call this energy emotion. Anyone been under extraordinary pressure, felt like you were perturbating, and then suddenly something happened and you popped and there was a release of energy. It could be hysterical laughter, I do that. Um, it could be, um, it could be um, breakdown, tears, uh, it, it, all of those ranges. Anyone had that experience? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, maybe even this morning or earlier today. So, uh, so a couple of features about this, as I said, the crossing of the threshold is unpredictable. We get a massive release of energy and there's a transformation. The other thing about this is that you cannot go back to the previous model. Hearing any conversations about when we get back to normal, when we get back to normal, when business gets back to normal, you cannot go back to the previous model. The change is irreversible unpredictable, irreversible transformation, not, not incremental change, transformative change. So a couple of things that we might want to ask about this particular um, scenario when it applies to human enterprises, human systems and so on, is that we can 
as if we're we're in an environment where a lot of this is going on, we might want to ask, how do we handle the energy as emotion in human systems? Is there a way that we can design for that so that the 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 energy that is released is handled elegantly and with humanity? Number one, you know, so that's some of the questions that we can ask. We could also look at this and go, how do we apply this to systems that need to change? How do we apply it? Who, let me ask you this example. Who knows that there's an area in your life that would be helpful if you changed it? Anyone got even a little tiny area that it would be helpful if you changed it? Yeah, cool. So how do you apply pressure to your biology that creates this type of change. That is another way of thinking about this. But if we're working within uh, organizations, and at this time uh, in our current world, we're going through accelerated acceleration. The, the large part of the exterior world is rapidly accelerating. Uh, there's a whole piece that we do in uh, Centropic Enterprise around the polarity of that. So to, to be the pol polar opposite of that, we need to go in, on an interior journey that's slowing down. You know, that's, it's, we've got to have that, that um, balance sitting there. But in a world where the exterior world is going through accelerated acceleration, if we're not in the process of change as enterprise and humans, then we are actually in stasis. And stasis in nature is death. So stasis is not happening. When we're in stasis, we don't invite all of the things, all of the laws of universe like synergy and precession, which are other models um, that we've covered on the previous uh, alumni calls. Um, and, and we literally are in, a, in, a, in an entropic state. So to be in a syntropic enterprise, we have to be managing, we have to be encouraging, we have to be animating change consciously. If uh, one of the things that we can do around this is that we can apply constraints. So the theory of constraints works here as well. So if you have a team of people and you put constraints on them, like um, a budget constraint, a time constraint, an outcome constraint, and you're very clear about the objective you're going for, then you will get a perturbated state that needs to be managed, number one. But here's the deal. What is created, we can't predict. We know that change will happen, but we can't predict that what is going to be created. We can't say it's going to look like this. We can say there will be change. Now, there are a couple of really powerful examples of this um, from, I mean, they're all over the place because this is how change happens. But for example, in the Apollo 11 um, mission where things went pear-shaped and if they didn't do something and if they didn't apply themselves creatively, then death was the outcome. And so this is the type of, you know, obviously we don't want that as much, you know, if we can avoid that as much as possible. We don't want to put people under that much pressure. But we know that when people are in that type of environment where it's uncomfortable, we have to pop uh, to a higher order of management, of how we manage our own biology and so on. And so this, um, this also applies to us as individuals. And I'm sure everyone, every single person on this call that I'm looking at, I know every single one of us has been through some form of this probably a thousand times where it's uncomfortable, 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 pop, and then there's a new way of being or engaging or seeing or living in the world. So that's, um, that's the theory of dissipative structures. Oh, there's one other thing before I open for questions is that if this is a team of people or a community or um, an ecology of people. And if one person, what happens um, if we have, you know, positive and negative charges? We, in, in syntropic 
um, uh, the masterclass, we do a lot with polarity. If we have positive and negative charges, it only takes one person in this particular uh, group of people to change their charge, to change from a, a positive to a negative, to completely change the dynamic of this. So, you know, when we're looking at working with a team of people that, that are going through change, part of the, the uh, development of us as steward leaders of that group of people is to be managing all of these pieces, the energy, emotion, what are the constraints that are being applied, what is the pressure, how are the people managing, how are they actually uh, um, transforming within this system themselves and knowing that the change is going to be unpredictable, how do we manage that? And that the outcome is going to be uncertain, how do we manage that? So that's kind of like a really high level overview of perturbation. I've got a couple of minutes for questions. So if anyone has any questions about anything that I presented, and then we're going to hand over to Christopher. For any questions, anyone, either raise your hand. I can see most of you or just unmute yourself and ask a question. And don't be shy. Or put it in the chat. Have we got, have we got chat? Let me just see if there's a, sorry, I'll open the chat box. So any questions at all? Did I do such a brilliant job that you're all completely clear you know how to do this? <laughs> You'll be able to go out and do this straight away. Peter, did you have your hand up? Yeah, I, I don't know all that. I haven't done your course. But if I think about those circles as people, yeah. aren't there different parts of those people? that are positive and negative? And at what stage do you call them positive? I right. mean, surely they can be positive intellectually, negative emotionally, uh, negative spiritually. Yeah. Even physically. Uh, How do you work out who's a positive and who's a negative? Yeah, we're really talking about, um, I'm giving you sort of a complex model in a short frame of time. And so um, it's a great question, but we're really not, we're not talking about positive, like good people, bad people. We're not talking about right people, wrong people. Um, we could be, but in this particular case, that's not with the positive and negative. I'm really talking about polarity or charge. So um, uh, it's it's simply if, and let me give you a really clear example. If, uh, if you walk into a room and everyone is happy and you're feeling a little down, what happens to you? It's very easy for you to flip and become yeah. infected. Yeah. <laughs> you become happier. And so, so where you're going is right into the detail of granularity, which is beyond the scope of the conversation that we're having right now. But the positive and negative charge is, is um, one of the principles that we work with um, is unity is plural at minimum two. And, you know, I, I'm throwing you off the deep end here, but you, to everything there is, a, to my hand, you know, which is, the, which is the right side of my hand? There, you know, I need both of them. <laughs> and so unity is, is plural at minimum two actually says that there is no good or bad. There is only a two-ness that needs to coexist. I don't know whether that answered your question well enough, but otherwise we're going to end in a rabbit hole that's going to, we're going to drown. <laughs> I'm certainly happy to dive I into that. Yeah. yeah. Any, oh, are there any other questions? Oh, probably one more if we, anyone's got a question? All right, we're good. We're good. So I'm now going to hand over to uh, Christopher, Christopher Cook, who is somewhere in the UK and uh, Christopher um, and I have known each other for about 20 years. We met uh, doing spiral dynamics in uh, Boulder, Colorado um, in the early 2000s, 20, whatever it was. And we've been friends and colleagues ever since. Uh, Christopher's become a really key element of what we're doing with Centropic World. And every time he speaks, everybody um, learns something really wonderful. Um, 
that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> so we talked about what he was going to talk about, but last night he indicated that he may talk about something else. So who knows? But whatever it is, I think it'll be great. So over to you, Christopher. You have the floor. Okay, thank you, Christine. I, I can't share my screen, and I do have some pretty pictures for you to look okay. at. You want me to? So let me see if, if I can. can just yeah. Give me permission. Share screen. Uh, but until then, I'm, I'm going to link everything that uh, you said and Peter said into what we're going to talk about today because my perturbation as I prepared for today was that uh, I, I agreed to talk about the work of Arthur Young and the Reflexive Universe and then Christine set a new boundary condition which was that she, or a new constraint, she added the word co and consciousness in there. So, so it's been quite an interesting uh, period of time and I still can't get in. Yeah, hang on just a minute. We're working on it. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. So, so think about what I'm going to talk about really is an understanding of the dynamics of change, but change at all scales. And um, I'm going to focus very much on the human scale side of it. Um, because when we're working within organizations and working with sales individuals at whatever level, this is going to be one of the most significant features of this completely thinking that Christine spoke about at the start. Um, now, I'm an engineer by background, and I'm, I'm very practical in that I'm only interested in stuff that works. So everything I'm going to offer you has, has come out of experience of really surfing the edge of an understanding of change, uh, not only based upon my own experience, but working with colleagues in uh, multiple sectors um, and the work of Arthur Young that I'm going to talk about was actually introduced to me through uh, a senior officer in one of the British police forces in 1983 when we were exploring collaboratively across the UK how to upgrade UK PLC and it was the, the start of the, it was 10 years into a 25 year change process that people saw on the surface as the privatisation of the water industry and, and so on and so forth. So that's a bit of context. So you should be I'll able to share, share now. You should be able to I'll share, share my screen now. Okay, so let's see what's happened. Yeah. Okay, there, so there we go. So as I say, the perturbation was that Christine added in the phrase um, consciousness and not only was the, the constraint, um, there was another constraint we brought in, which was I only had 20 minutes. So I'm going to do my best, okay? Now, um, back in 83 that I was just speaking about, um, I, was being, I was being perturbed in many ways. I was an engineer, a mechanical engineer, moved into the water industry, and I was having to learn to listen to what, what nature was telling me, what the microbes were telling me. And it, it started to stretch my mind, and I realized that in this very large-scale change process that went from 1974 through to 1989 in the UK, or the, the, the preparations for it, um, I, I realized that the one piece that had been missed was an understanding of what really makes people tick, and it, it became my curiosity. And then uh, I was at a meeting with um, the post office, the police service, the water industry, IBM, and other international companies were there looking at the future of change management. And the senior police officer came over and gave me this book under the table. He said, I think you'll find this interesting. And it's this work of Arthur Young that was published in 1976. And Arthur Young is, is from Berkeley in the USA. A very interesting man. As, and as an engineer, I was drawn to his work immediately because he was the inventor of the Bell helicopter uh, using many of the principles that were captured in his understanding of the, the dynamics of the reflective universe and the evolution of consciousness. So his work has had a, a significant impact on me as an engineer, as I really wanted to find new ways of how to handle the complete rethinking in the water industry at that time. Now, the evolution of consciousness is in the title, but I also wanted to just uh, add in uh, an, another author that was publishing just at about the same time, and that's Ken Wilber. So I'm going to blend these two, um, these two conversations together because I believe it's important as we go through this complete rethinking and arguably that's why we're all on this call is that we do pause for a few moments just to define some terms. So the definition of reflexive that I'd like to bring into the conversation is that it's, it's um, 
the capacity to refer back to self. Now, it's, it assumes that there is a capacity, there is sentience, there is an awareness of a uh, life form to refer back to itself. So reflexive, referring back to itself. Consciousness, I, I'm going to suggest, is that basically, as best we know it, and without removing any of the mystery, which I think is such a significant part of our life today, that we're basically saying that consciousness, as we understand it and map it today, largely through books like work like the Reflexive Universe and so on, is the all, is, is the all in action. And I'm not giving it a, a, a definition other than that, because each individual will have their own spiritual connotation and interpretation of the all. But what I want, how I want to link it into today is say that we're talking here about consciousness and the all in action being actually a reflexive process of referring back to itself. And what we can see here is in, in, the, in, in the center block, the center panel, this language around spirit. And I want to just frame that today as an organizing intelligence or perhaps an orienting intelligence where fundamentally, uh, as we look back in at life so far, it's fundamentally a process of learning and discovery. Now, when I come to the human dimension, and remember this is an engineer speaking, I, I realized that back in 83, we were wasting our time if we didn't bring in that some of the subtle dynamics that I think uh, Peter was talking about in terms of where's the, where's the non-physical dynamics of this. And so in terms of humanness, I, I want to suggest that really what we're talking about in this transition that we're in today uh, is a soul's interaction with spirit, is how the awareness of the all gets translated into human form on this planet, and that leads to two particular psycho-spiritual patterns and codes. Now, Arthur Young, Buckminster Fuller, Ken Wilber, Claire Graves, the work of Spiral Dynamics and so on, were all mapping these psycho-spiritual patterns and codes. So when, when Arthur, uh, when Arthur uh, Young talks about the reflective universe, or uh, Mr. Fuller talks about vector equilibrium, which is uh, one of Christine's favorite topics. They're talking about some of the patterns and codes of, of an emergent universe. Now, states, so gross, subtle causal. So you, you, you slept last night, you dream a lot. So the subtle states, and what we're saying is that in the full spectrum of universe, there are different states, that can be experienced in the vastness of the all. But there are also structures. So the entropy that, that uh, Christine described is really a process of where matter comes into form and then the syntropy that we're talking about in terms of our work together in a syntropic process is where that solid or physical form becomes the platform for the development of more organic life. So states and structures are in essential patterns that are left behind. Now, if we just look at that as a, as a, as a bigger picture, we can see down the left-hand side there are structures. So we've got different structures, and the language shown on the left-hand vertical axis, the archaic, the magic, the mythic, the rational, the pluralistic, the integral, is the language that's really grown up out of the lineage from Jean Gebser, from uh, the, the early part of the 20th century that's now integrated into integral theory. But Peter, you can see here that in my conversation, we're looking at the, the states, the gross, the subtle. So gross is the physical, the nature that we talk about, the, the subtle, the deity, the spirits, if we choose to call it that, the causal, the formless, which is really the invitation for life to form, and the non-dual, which arguably is the essential nature of universe. Now, I said today was going to be uh, linking to this dynamics of change, and I'm hoping I've perturbed you enough to set you in the context of just having a quick chat about Arthur Young. Arthur Young's work struck me, not only as an engineer, but also because he had an appreciation of the, the significant capacity of the human species. And certainly today, whilst we hear lots of conversations about artificial intelligence, it's intelligence amplification and utilization of the human species that I'm really interested in, especially when we go to realize that we're barely out of adolescence as a species. 
And I'd just like you to be aware of how these words create a, um, a perturbation within you. Let's say these words create a, a reflection and set a, uh, a constraint around you. And I want to know how your soul responds. The universe is a theatre of increasingly complex organisation in which man has a definite place without any upper limit to his or her evolution. Arthur Young. So that was the essence of the work that was being promoted. And the, this work was being used in all sorts of exploratory work in the UK at the time. And we were linking to colleagues in the States. But fundamentally, it was being used to craft leading understanding of how to create the appropriate boundary conditions and constraints, constraints to create an organization that was uh, uh, that released its natural motivational flow. So linking through to some of the subtle states of passion and purpose and so on and so forth. Now, top left, you'll see a donut. You're all familiar with a donut or a bagel if you're in America. Uh, and basically, if you go to the leading edge conversation today on how the primary pattern, the primary unfolding of universe is viewed to be a toroidal flow. And basically, it's the it, uh, as Arthur Young is holding that donut, he's pushing it out from the center, unfolding round, unfolding round, and there's this unfolding dynamic is called this toroidal flow, which is now viewed to be the dominant organizing principle of the universe. And there's, you can go into any research and scientific context to find that. The mystery is how do you translate it into practical use today? And what Arthur Young showed that is if you take a cross section and, and trace the, the line of a point as the, as the torus does one unfolding, it leaves behind this arc. So I'm hoping you can see my cursor. And we've got this arc here that starts out at the beginning of the universe, nearly 14 billion years ago. Uh, and basically what we're talking about here is light, okay, in the the origins of universe, whether you looked at it from biblical or scientific terms. And light then went through a series of processes and basically uh, light started to translate into stardust and this entropic process and the books around the clockwork universe and the science around the clockwork universe is really a reflection of this entropic process as the original light basically settled into the forms that we start to see today and basically uh, the cellular molecular the molecular and cellular structures that christine talks about and the cell membranes really were a part of this process in the stabilization of a physical form of universe to become the platform for the syntropic form of universe to emerge and this is where the involuntary became voluntary this is where the energy in our solar system of the sun, for example, has become used to, uh, through the turn, which is arguably the creation of photosynthesis on this planet, the photosynthesis and the ability to convert solar energy into useful form on this planet and use the minerals along with our amazing water. Uh, we can then start to see and look behind at these patterns of development of all forms of life through to this strange species, Homo sapiens, that we see in this domain of dominion, uh, in this domain here. Now, why we're saying this is interesting work and why the whole conversation around the effects of the universe is interesting is that in the later stages of the human species, consciousness has emerged where we can actually look back in and start to create these metaphors and similes of the universe. But we can also have the phenomenological uh, experiences accessing subtle dynamics of universe and that's largely possible because a map like this tells us that basically we are the universe in the human skin every process every dynamic of universe that's ever been created or existed actually exists within us because we as a species both biologically and psychologically have transcended included all the earlier forms of this journey it also means we can look back in. We can look back and see the whole. And if you look at this image as well, it's basically saying that in terms of freedom, degrees of freedom, we're growing into the same degrees of freedom of light. Now that's quite a significant statement. 
So our conversation with Christine is really about how syntropically we grow into greater degrees of freedom and we can start to understand some of these patterns that are left behind to help inform us and help us shape our decision making so that we can move forward with more confidence. Now, the recursive patterns, there's never just a single pattern, there's always multiple patterns. And so what we can see in each of these domains of light, of particles, atoms, molecules, there's, all, there's a similar dynamic, a, a pattern of seven in a meta, a meta pattern of seven. Now, Arthur Young was a highly practical guy, and basically he started to take his cosmology and apply it in practical terms. And it was basically the development and the design and development of, of the Bell helicopter using the principles of the universe, which is basically the syntropic conversation. And that then led to the sorts of images that you see here as he began to understand the dynamics. Now, this toroidal form is something that Buckminster Fuller had a sense of, and his work on vector equilibrium was starting to bring out some of the underlying dynamics that leave behind the, the toroidal form. So the toroidal form, as we know it, is what we see here, and you can see top left. I've started to embed, it, embed some of the very simplistic um, images that you can find around that show a vector equilibrium is the underlying dynamic that leaves behind this toroidal flow. And that fundamentally is what led to Arthur Young's work, which is arguably still one of the most robust mappings of the dynamics of universe from light right the way through to the development of the human species. Now how it links to me and why Christine links to me is that I always give you more information than you can possibly cope in in a presentation like this, so you're going to have to go and read the book. But I just want to leave you with this one thought, that when we map the work of Arthur Young into an understanding of the structures of consciousness, capital C, as the universe in, in action, this is about spirit revealing itself in human form. And the work that we're doing around full spectrum emergence, which builds upon the spiral dynamics lineage, really has to understand the relationship with all these points of view. And so when we link it back into Arthur Young's work, we can see here that we can take an understanding of the stage of the structures of, of human development over the last 120,000 years and show clearly how it links to the, the seventh dimension of the seventh kingdom that Arthur Young spoke about. But most importantly, and linking back to Christine's point, about the complete rethinking. This domain here on the right is the domain of where we are developing as a species, a more holistic integral capacity that equips us to handle the major shift in the perturbation that we're existing, that's existing on our planet that we've largely created for ourselves. And this major shift in our capacity as a species to lead through this fundamental reframing is really what the work of Arthur Young and all those I've spoken about is, is talking about. So that's basically my Hitchhiker's Guide to a Conversation on a Reflexive Universe of Consciousness and how it links to what we're doing with syntropic practice, syntropic thinking, and fundamentally how we manage the complete rethinking and complete. Well, thank you, uh, Christopher. Um, if you can um, unmute your screen, that would be great. Or undo, not mute, um, undo your screen, just so I can see other people's faces. But um, uh, any, <laughs> we got a couple of minutes. I'm going to have to rewatch that. But any questions? <laughs> Anyone got any questions? Three times. Three times. <laughs> you need to unmute if you've got a question. Put your hand up um, if you have a question, and we'll <laughs> revert you to Christopher to see if we can answer it. In like two seconds. Oh, I did, my presentation was intended for you to rewatch it at least ten times. Okay. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it worked. It worked. <laughs> uh, it worked. And part of the purpose behind these calls, just so that you know, um, the work that we do, and there is um, a, quite a few members of the Centropic sort of inter, um, community, Centropic world here. But part of what we're doing is actually highly practical. 
Uh, and so um, <laughs> that didn't, it is highly practical um, and because you know we really do need to rethink how we create a world with a future. And, uh, and so the, the models that, but it also, we also need to be sitting in perturbation ourselves and we need to have perturbation designed into our own community of practice because otherwise we become static ourselves. And so these calls were designed um, originally for our alumni to be um, sort of like thrown off the cliff, <laughs> which is Christopher's done a very good job of, but thrown off the cliff to go, we have to keep our thinking, we have to keep expanding our thinking, we have to keep that going. Um, and so, anyway, I thank you very much, Christopher, that, for that. Um, last chance for a question. We're good. Uh, Peter, you have a quick question. Go ahead, you need to unmute. Christopher, is it possible that we have two universes? One a physical, one a, a, an unseen. And if you take um, quantum yeah. physics and go down to the, post, the minimum of time, there's a there's a, a moment, there's a there's a spectrum of time, uh, which has no meaning because you can't measure it. And yeah. is it possible that we could just be oscillating between those two universes? I actually work with the unseen world, and I don't. And the, the rules of the unseen world act totally differently from the physical world. world. Yeah, so at the outset, I said, I, there's nothing I want to say that takes away the mystery. So yes, I believe you bang on, Peter. Um, the skill is to find individuals who can help us uh, discover what that means. So there, there are many forms of science today based on these different patterns of consciousness. And be it from the Aborigines right the way through to um, who would be on the edge at the moment, let's say Howard Bloom, uh, you're going to find that your, your uh, postulate is, is accurate. Okay, so there are multiverses, and the way I'd ask us to think about it from an holistic point of view is that we're dealing with multiple hol holons, discrete intelligences, be they universes, be they planets, be they beings, be they spirits, and basically they cascade to infinity and back. Okay, that's as best as we can describe it. Now it means that as an engineer or when I'm working in the fields with farmers, we often, we don't obviously go full blast with the, with the full exposure of what I've just done this morning, but I did this this morning to, to build on, I didn't know Christine was going to talk about Prodigy, but in terms of the, the, the perturbation and the dissonance, unless we step into this space and understand the underlying codes and patterns of how life functions in our societies, we're going to run into great difficulties. So for example, the, the current conversation about um, Black Lives Matters and uh, the way in which artifacts are becoming targeted as memories of the past, that's all very explainable and understandable and manageable because we can create new constraints that doesn't control or restrict, but releases motivational flow, which for me is a syntropic process. And that's why I focus on this work, because I do believe there's a, there's a new form of thought leadership here. And it does mean behind closed doors, you end up having to have new conversations. But in terms of the evolution of consciousness, we work with farmers today, and they go to us and they say, Christopher, thank God I'm not going crazy. Because they know there's a truth in this, because they work with nature and they work with animals. I'm complete. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, we do have to move on because we have um, wonderful Cindy. I have, uh, if you, if I'm not sure if you had a presentation, but you can screen share if you wanted to. Um, I've made that available for you. <laughs> um, you need to unmute. Um, Cindy uh, is in Cambridge in the in the UK. Um, she is a dear friend and just doing amazing, amazing work. Um, which um, part of as well these calls is to bring. Um, some of our alumni, um, you know, um, get them to showcase what they're doing. And so this is Cindy. So you have the floor, Cindy. Thanks so much. And hi, everyone. It's so lovely to see you all, some of you who I already know and some who it's just lovely to meet. Thanks so much for um, being part of this. I am going to screen share, actually, because I've got some, I think, it's possibly more interesting to look at things than just look at me. So I'll just open the screen. Oh, that doesn't seem quite right, does it? Oh, this must be, um, hmm. 
Sorry, chaps, let me try again. I'm not sure how to, what's quite happening there. I'm hoping it'd be a bit easier than this. Um, hmm. Perhaps it's this one. Oh, sorry. Sorry about this. Hopefully I'll just be able to cover up all the mess on my desktop very quickly. And uh, so, yeah, I founded um, a company called Planetari. Um, again, I don't see my, I see myself as the chief steward. My job is to bring this into the world um, to hope, hopefully um, help make it a more centropic place. The main question that we're asked how do we scale education in, um, fit for the future in time to make a difference? I think we are on borrowed time now, so we have to accelerate this and we have to move very quickly. Um, I think, and on this call, I think you're all aware of the problems. Humans are seriously affecting the controls of the biosphere for the first time in Earth's history. This, we all know the, the um, effects of this in the economic, social, an environmental realm, in the spiritual realm, in the physical, metaphysical realm. And yet we carry on trying to solve the problems with the same thinking that has, that's created it. In education, there hasn't been a shift really in how we teach our children hugely since the Industrial Revolution. You're all familiar with these. The global goals are far from um, perfect, but referring to Christopher's comment, they do show that we are evolving as a species. 193 countries have stuck a flag in the ground and said this is the kind of world we want to see by 2030. We want to sure, make sure we leave no one behind, and yet still we educate people to a model that is based on an extract to extinction um, principle. And so, you know, we are where we are. And this isn't the work of, of stupid people. This is from David Orr. It's or, or uneducated people, highly educated people have made the decisions that have brought us to the point that we're at. Um, you know, I think I find this quite staggering. Only 3% of people around the world go to university and yet they take up 80% of our leadership position. So it's absolutely critical that we develop humans who can think differently. And you know, there's a huge awareness of this now. We've seen the, the climate strikes. We've seen the, you know, both students, teachers, all walks of society coming out and saying, you know, we need something that teaches beyond this conformity. It's just exacerbating the problems. And yet you can go through our current education system without even hearing climate change mentioned uh, more than 10 times out of approximately 100,000 lessons. And that's just one issue. I mean, we have focused so much on climate change, I think, which is also, you know, needs to be addressed rather than the whole systemic um, problem that that is a symptom of. You know, and just emphasizing how much the awareness is there now to start developing a different way of, of teaching our children. Um, just before I, I speak, go on, I just thought what Chris, Christopher said that was fantastic. You know, we're barely out of adolescence as a species. And in, in some ways, it's, um, that, that, that puts it, it, it so clearly that we have to develop this maturity before we destroy our home like teenagers out an, at an out-of-control house party. That really feels like what's happening in our world today. You know, we've had far too much to drink and we're trashing the place. So... Um, on to the, the um, when, where we can go with this. I think uh, you know, Christine's work is so interestingly based in Buckminster Fuller. We have to move away now from thinking of ourselves as victims, even for the, the children on the streets, the, the, um, the uh, climate activists. I think it's so important that we don't only see this in terms of gloom and doom and everything that's gone wrong. We see ourselves as a really empowered species from the earliest age who can be part of building a world with a future. And so, you know, this fits entirely into to Christine's work. You know, we now need to start designing new models, new maps and new thinking rather try, than trying to fix the ones that are, um, that are clearly broken. It's about what we can do now, move forward, move into the positive and look at this as an opportunity for a huge transformation of, 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 of the human species on planet Earth. 
So that's the thinking behind um, planetary. Uh, what planetary is, it's, it's a multimedia education flat platform that's designed to teach children to be the, uh, the innovators and entrepreneurs who can solve our biggest global challenges. The first rule of revolution is take over the radio station. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the channels of media communicate of communication that we have. What we do need to change is the messaging. So Planetary is trying to use all the forms of reaching and, and, and um, communicating with children out there that work brilliantly well, but change actually the, what we offer them through those, um, through, those message, through those systems. We want to create a, um, you know, it really is this from the earliest years, a different, uh, allowing humans to evolve differently, the, the principles being you, you care, you share and you dare. And so by having this, you know, this, this mindset that believes that you can be part of co-creating a better world and the understanding of Earth systemically, we get children who are well equipped to, to, to take us forward. I think, I've, I think that that's fairly um, self-explanatory, that's what we're all about. We have based our content on the UN SDGs because that is a really good flag in the ground. It's, you know, it isn't, it is, as I said, it's not perfect, but it has, it has global buy-in and it has looked at the issues that the, the press, some of the most pressing issues on planet Earth that we need to solve. So everything for children, this is an adventure of, of discovery, of exploration. So in, we've taken those goals and we've turned them into things that hopefully in children's language will be a really exciting way to explore the world, an exciting way to discover the amazing people who are already uh, working on solutions and discover how they uh, can be part of it. I mean, primarily we're looking at children from seven to 11, though we are developing an, an earlier series from three to six, because I do think that the, earliest, the earlier you can start to tell children a different story of Earth, the better. In fact, I think children land fully eco-literate and in harmony with nature, but it's what we teach them that takes that out of them. So it's going back to, you know, to reverse that and, and tell a different story. Um, so essentially that that's what it is. I've just the next few slides just show some of the things that we've um, we've developing one of this one of these things is we're calling a makerzine because we notice that when children um, explore in a hands on way I used to um, run the CEO of the Cambridge Science and Discovery Centre Now that's a whole universe that children learn by doing and that has a really profound effect so I don't know if you can see or see the pictures but this is one of our makerzines it has things that you have the front end will explore um, by storytelling and then you get into um, pop-ups and things that move and activities at the back that children can actually um, do and make for themselves again we are using storytelling because children love characters they love adventures outside in the, the world that they they um absorb information by these really high production values in film in video games and you know everything they come in contact with and yet some of the most important issues that we try to teach arrive in a hemp shirt so it already sends a signal to children that these are less valuable in, um, subjects, things to know about. So we're trying to create, to merge the, crea the creative and the imaginative world with these key things that, that children, you know, invite them to, to discover through that lens rather than, ugh, you know, have to learn about the environment, everything's going wrong. It's, it's a really exciting adventure that we're offering them. So, you know, again, working across the different dimensions and these are, so you can see children doing some of the hands-on activities where they get to, to but they, they learn the principles of the things through the, um, the, the storytelling journey and then they get things to work on to put those, those things into practice by making and creating themselves. And of course, they can go completely off, off piste and do whatever they like, but you know, we give them little things to start them off. Um, to make this easy for teachers, uh, because a lot of you know, teachers, particularly primary school teachers, feel they don't have the expertise to teach on more complex issues like you know, what's the state of our oceans or climate change. We've created fully, um, fully, you know, fully planned out, mapped out lesson plans, which they can download and use in the classroom with, you know, with a set of very, again, beautiful looking and exciting resources so kids get their heads up and that yes this is the stuff that we 
um, that we want to work on, but to make it as easy as possible, while we know that it's going to take a while for the curriculum to change, we can actually put tools in children's, in teachers' hands that they can fit. They're transdisciplinary, so you could fit them into science, geography, maths, art, literacy, and just get them in there. You know, part of our work is advocating for broader change on the curriculum, but we want to get something that can go into schools, into homes now to start seeding change. So some of the things that we've got are, you know, also in the digital domain. Uh, we're just doing, creating our first set of digital, fully digital lessons, which is actually going to be really beautiful because we're working with um, our oceans team, who, the Blue Marine Foundation, who are a fabulous oceans um, protection organisation. And they've got people in the Maldives, educators in the Maldives and St Helena Island and Essential Island around the UK. And the lessons are going to be by young marine biologists who are actually in situ. So again, another really, you know, almost live way for children to explore um, the things that they're learning about. You've got, again, making them as much activists as possible. So they're the ones that go out and they interview influencers, they influence people, they interview people who are doing these things. So it's not, I'm a child, I'm static, I absorb information, it's I'm a creator, I'm an activist, I'm an actor. We go out and we do this stuff. Uh, you know, that's just a picture of a little app that we're, we're creating just to show you an example of the things that we've created that that supports in the in the, one of the magazines, an island pops up, which is a fully protected marine um, zone. And in the app, they can then dive into that and play this little game that teaches them. So the, the learning extends in different dimensions. You know, we want to, to push this as far as we can. We'd love to have an animated series, which then, you know, so it turns into edutainment, but really change the messaging in, in how we entertain our children, because we tend to entertain children, or a lot of it is, is quite violent and quite aggressive and quite, you know, the messaging that comes in children's games and videos can be quite, um, you know, it's, it's all part of that process of, of, of shaping you in a way that we need to define against now if we're going to be successful as a species. So with the messaging in our entertainment should also be in line with, with, the, with the kinds of people that we want to, to, you know, to our next generation as of humans to be. Christine, you'll like this series that we're trying to work on for older children, again, called Maps, Map Makers, and that's using the digital dimension where children are given different scenarios. You know, if this happened, they, they, first, they first of all, they get a briefing, which gives them the context, let's say, you know, how to protect the oceans. And then they're given, um, they go into an adventure and it's up to them to choose what kind of map they draw. So they might make disastrous decisions and at the end they'll see the consequence of that or they might choose to do, you know, to work in harmony with our natural world and then they can see what the long-term consequences of, of that are and um you know i just to, to summarize you know, we're trying to get them to think i couldn't possibly compete with christopher's in, in astonishing map um there but it, it is really trying to develop these con not dumping tons of information on children but developing these systemic competencies that will enable them to think in a much more holistic way about our planet and the choices that they make uh, to live here. So I think that brings me nicely to the end. If I knew how to unscreen share, I would. Um, stop share up, that's that. Thanks so much for um, listening, everyone. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Amazing work. Do we need that? Do we need that in the world? Does everyone, yeah, like, wow. Um, and so um, part of our community as well as supporting these type of enterprises to um, to actually get out there and do the work that they're doing. Um, uh, yeah, but anyway, so thank you so much for that, Cindy. Um, we have maybe time for one person to ask Cindy a question um, before we go to wrap. Does anyone have a question for Cindy at all? Katie does. Katie? No, you don't. <laughs> I have lots of questions for Cindy, but I've got her email address off her beautiful website and I'm actually going to email them to you so I don't take everyone's time. All right. Okay. That's great. I really I'm really. just going to, to say yeah. one, one thing to, to Cindy as well, just on the back of what Christopher shared, you know, that we are the universe and human skin. If, mm. if I went to school, and I realize that I am the universe and human skill in human skin. I'm not coming to, to school with nothing. I'm coming to school with everything. 
Mm. And it's, it's a rediscovering and a remembering who I am. So your work is beautiful. And it also, it may not be for you, but, you know, people who are transitioning into different jobs. If I was the parent watching my child learning this, I would be learning so much because I never got to learn like this. And what about if I was made redundant and I was looking for new work, you know, learning in this way, just just awakens us to the universe within us for those future roles that we could do when we think so linear, like, oh, my time is done. I'll never get a job. So it's, it's, it's just, you're opening the way for so many possibilities. That was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. I, I did write that down actually, the universe and human skin and put big, big stars around it. So, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful work. So, um, uh, I'm very, uh, we keep this to, to, to time and there will be, you will be um, receiving the recording. Um, you are welcome to share the recording with other people. Um, probably what I'll do as well, I'll have the full recording plus I'll also um, segment into the three um, because you may want to have a look at Christopher's more than once. <laughs> um, you may want to share Cindy's work with other people. Uh, but anyway, I really appreciate, thank you very much. I know that we've got different time zones here. So thank you very much. Um, we have the most amazing um, global community growing around this work. Uh, it is it is very practical. Uh, it is, um, you know, where our ambition is to have this become the business as usual, um, the way that we work with Centropic Enterprise. Uh, and so we'll be busy for quite a while uh, but anyway i hope um i thank you for making the time and i hope to see um all of you in some other space we do this at this time frame every second month and we do it in the mornings for the americas every other month so that's how we sort of work these alumni calls thank you so much have a good evening have a good day um, go out and uh, let's uh, build a world with a future bye